Welcome to Turning Point. Believers around the world look forward to celebrating Easter. But today, Dr. David Jeremiah invites you to look back to that dramatic first Easter and imagine what it would have been like to discover the empty tomb and encounter the risen Christ. With convincing evidence that proves the Savior lives, here's David to introduce today's message, The Seven Signs of Easter. And I want to thank you for joining us today for this Friday edition. This is Good Friday, and it's a wonderful opportunity for us to just um, make a parenthesis out of this day so that we can focus our attention on our celebration of Easter in a couple of days. So often Easter is like Christmas. It comes and goes. People know a few traditions related to it, but they never get right to the meaning of it. And today I hope you will let me guide you through what was the first Easter that explains why we do what we do every year on this holy day. Before we get to our lesson, I want to encourage you to get the study guides for the series we are currently doing on prophecy. You know, a lot of you um, may not be into reading long books, but you can read uh, digested books, and our studies are kind of like that in the study guide. Every chapter uh, has the outline and the major scriptures, has some key thoughts, actually a page called the overview, and then there are places where you can look up other scriptures and enter your own information. Um Each chapter in the study guide is just a very small fraction of the larger chapter in the book, the Book of Signs. Let me tell you how to get both of these products. The Book of Signs, the 460-page book, which is the core of all this truth we've been talking about, it's available from davidjeremiah.org. You can buy it there. And the study guides are also available from davidjeremiah.org. You will find this prophetic information on the website, and I hope you will go there, take advantage of this series when all of this is being promoted, and get it into your own hands, into your own heart. I promise you God will use it to bless you and encourage you. Well, let's get started today with this lesson. We've called this the Seven Signs of Easter. Make sure you note everyone. I'd like to ask you to join me today in a little experiment, if you will. I'd like for you to assume that you and I were privileged to be the first ones to go to the tomb on that first Easter day. And that we, along with the women who did go there, were allowed to see what they saw as they approached the garden where Jesus' tomb was and where he had been buried. And as we come toward the tomb, I want you to see what they saw because the issue today is not whether or not people believe in the resurrection. The issue is do you believe in the resurrection? And is the resurrection a creditable event that actually happened? Can it be supported by the evidence? And does history demonstrate that Jesus Christ did indeed rise from the dead? Well, if you had been with us on that first Sunday, If you had been with the women as you approached the tomb, you would have seen seven things both before you got there and after you left. The first thing that you would notice as you arrived there in the garden where the tomb was is that there were no soldiers. 
Now, if you knew what was going on, you would have known that soldiers had been stationed there to guard the tomb, at least for the first three days. You see, Jesus had claimed that he was going to come back from the dead, and the people who were putting him on the cross wanted to make sure that if his body was missing, nobody could say that he had pulled it off. So we read in Matthew 27 these words, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day so that his disciples won't come by night and steal him away and say to the people he has risen from the dead so that the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. When we arrive at the tomb that day, there are no soldiers. But soldiers had been sent to guard the tomb. A Roman guard unit consisted of 16 soldiers. The way it normally worked was that four of them would stand side by side in front of whatever it is they were guarding and the other 12 would gather in a semicircle behind them facing inward every four hours the soldiers who were standing in front of that which they guarded would take their place in the circle and four fresh soldiers would stand and guard and while the four were guarding usually the other 12 were sleeping it was a very formidable thought that 16 Roman soldiers were standing in front of the tomb to guard it but when the women arrived that morning there were no soldiers well something happened something happened to explain their absence Matthew 28 verse 11 says now while they were going behold some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened what had happened the tomb was empty Jesus was gone and when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and they said to them tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept and if this comes to the governor's ears we will appease him and make you secure so they took the money and they did as they were instructed and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day now although the idea that the disciples stole the body of Jesus explains the missing body the idea is more absurd than any of the other godless attempts to put down the resurrection and for at least two reasons First of all, it is impossible that the soldiers would have all slept through the disciples moving the stone away from the mouth of the tomb and stealing the body of Jesus. In fact, 12 of them could have been sleeping, but four of them were supposed to be awake. And the real kicker is this one. If the soldiers were all asleep, how did they know who stole the body? Hmm. So we notice when we come to the garden that day, there are no soldiers. As we get closer to the tomb itself, the stone is missing, but along with the missing stone is the missing seal. The Bible tells us that when they made the tomb secure, they set the stone and they set the guard, Matthew 27, 66. A seal over the tomb was like this. The stone was in place, and then they took a rope and they stretched it across the stone and affixed it with wax to each side of the sepulcher. And then the Roman guard would put their signet ring in the wax, signaling that this was an officially closed sepulcher, that what was purported to be inside the tomb was in there. It was now closed and officially sealed. When they got close to the sepulcher, obviously the stone was gone, and so the seal was gone. And then, of course, the thing that must have startled them the most, 
as they stood away from the sepulcher that day was that the stone that had been rolled in front of the tomb was missing. When they would seal a sepulcher in the days of Jesus, they did it like this. The body was placed inside the hewn-out stone sepulcher, and then they got a piece of granite, and they either carved it or found it and made some adjustments to it, and this was rolled in front of the mouth of the tomb to keep the animals from coming in and desecrating the corpse and to protect the dignity of the buried person. And the way they did it was they would cut a groove in front of the tomb that went right down in front of the tomb. And they would get a stone and they would put the stone, usually in a round format, they would roll it up the groove a little bit and put a shim under it. After the burial was finished, they would bring the stone back and it would be there in front of the tomb. Then they would take the seal and put it across it. And this was the officially closed sepulcher. The Bible says, when the women came that day, verse 2 of chapter 28, behold, there was a great earthquake, and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. When they got to the garden that day, they noticed there was no stone in front of the sepulcher. In fact, the scripture is very explicit about what had happened. Mark tells us this was a stone that was extremely large, actually a stone which 20 men could not move. And as you read the other gospel accounts, you begin to get a picture of this. A stone to cover that mouth of that grave would have been huge. It says that the opening was four and a half feet high by five. And so here was this opening, and there was nothing in front of it. And we are told that when John got there, he had to lean over to look in. And several studies have been done to determine how big a stone would have been needed to cover an opening four and a half to five feet and the conservative estimates are that such a stone would have to weigh in at one and a half to two tons now watch when the women got there that day the stone was not in front of the opening and it wasn't even in the groove that had been placed there to help them move the stone Let me read to you what John says in the first verse of the 20th chapter of John. He says, the stone had been taken away from the tomb, and the words there mean to pick something up and carry it away. When the women got to the tomb that day, the stone wasn't near the opening of the grave. It was off in a place by itself, as if somebody had just come and picked it up and moved it over, and then, of course, there was an angel sitting on top of it. That made an impression. Something was going on that day. But the evidence is growing, and we still haven't come to the most powerful evidence of all. We are told that when they got to the tomb and they looked inside, the tomb was almost empty, but not quite. There was no body there, but there was a shroud there. Let's pick up that part of the story. The story here is that when they got there, Peter went out, verse 3 of John chapter 20, and the other disciple who were going to the tomb, and they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter, and he came to the tomb first, and he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. And Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. And the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. By the way, the other disciple is John, who's writing this and always refers to himself in some oblique way. Oftentimes he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. When they looked into the grave that day, let me tell you what they saw. They saw that there was no body there, 
But the grave clothes were there. Now, they didn't bury people in a kind of a robe. They buried people by winding them in layers of fabric, almost like you would think of as a mummy, putting spices in between each layer. So they saw the outline of Jesus' body in the grave clothes which had encased him. And as they looked to the place where his body was supposed to be, here were the grave clothes, still in the same shape as his body, slightly indented and caved in like the empty chrysalis of a caterpillar's cocoon. And that was enough to make a believer out of anybody. John never did get over it. The first thing that stuck in the minds of the disciples was not the empty tomb, but the empty grave clothes, undisturbed in their form and in a position where they ought to be. Now, John explains this to Peter. I don't know what it went like, but it might have been something like this. Don't you see, Peter? No one has moved the body or even disturbed the grave clothes. They're lying exactly as Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea left them on the eve of the Sabbath, and the body is gone. It hasn't been stolen. It's not been moved. Clearly, it had to have passed through the clothes, leaving them as we see them now. Jesus must be risen. A glance at these grave clothes proved the reality of the resurrection so much that John went out from that experience along with his fellow disciples, and instead of being cowardly as they were before the crucifixion, they became flaming evangelists for the gospel. The Bible says that as the result of the resurrection, these men of God turned their world upside down. And if you read the book of Acts, which is the history of the early church, and the sermons that were preached by the apostles at this time the resurrection is the theme of every one of their messages they were changed dramatically by what they saw that day when they went into the tomb and jesus was gone but his clothes were still there in the shape of his body now we move past that first day and we begin to examine what happened in the days that followed the Bible tells us that after the resurrection, there was an occasion when Jesus' apostles were gathered in the upper room, and Thomas was not present with them at this particular time, and Jesus appeared to them. The Bible says he did not come through the door, he just appeared. Now remember, Jesus is in his resurrection body, and I don't want you to get spooked about this, but that's quite a body, the resurrection body, and it's the body we're going to have someday, which makes it possible for you to be in a place without going through the doors. How about that for checking up on your kids? <laughs> I mean, Jesus was just there. That's what the scripture says. And Thomas wasn't there. And after the meeting, his, the disciples were all excited that they'd seen the risen Lord. And, and they told Thomas, we've seen Jesus. Actually, he came to a meeting and was with us. And Thomas says, I don't believe it. In fact, I'm not going to believe it. Unless I see it myself. Unless I see it myself, I won't believe it. Eight days later... <laughs> John 20, 26, after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. And Jesus came, and the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be to you. And he said to Thomas, Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Thomas knew it was the risen Lord because of the scars in the body of Jesus. And one last thing about the resurrection. Not only the scars, but did you know that after Jesus was resurrected from the grave, he didn't go right back to heaven. 
He spent a number of days still here on this earth. And during that time after his resurrection, we are told that he revealed himself to many people. Not only to the apostles, as we've mentioned in the two occasions in the upper room, but to individuals and to groups. In fact, if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul says that he revealed himself on one occasion to over 500 people. He was seen by people in the morning and in the evening. He was seen by men and women, by adults and by children. In every situation you could imagine, Jesus Christ was seen. Now listen to this. And all the people that saw him were still alive when Paul wrote that there were 500 people who had seen them, and they could have certainly refuted that had they chosen. One writer has said that if you take all the witnesses who saw Jesus in his resurrected body and you brought them to court and gave each of them six minutes to talk, you would have over 50 hours of testimony to the risen Christ. So men and women, I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ is alive, that he overcame the grave, that he was resurrected as the scripture tells us he was, and that he is living today at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He has overcome death. And so we step back and we say, well, that's good information. I'm glad I know that. But here's a question I like to ask often when I'm about ready to finish a message. And it goes like this. It's real short. So what? So what that he's risen from the dead? What difference does it make? And here's where I hope you will listen carefully because if you don't get this part of it, the interest in the resurrected Christ will not be great in your life. But I want you to understand that because he is risen, he affects every part of your life. First of all, he affects your past. You see, Jesus came on this earth, and for 30 years he lived a perfect life. And the Bible tells us that his purpose in coming was not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. The Bible tells us that Jesus was sent to this world to go to the cross and pay the penalty for our sin. The Bible tells us that we are separated from God because he is holy and we are not. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We can never measure up to his standard and we cannot get to heaven in our own imperfection. And so Almighty God devised the plan of redemption. And that plan would be that he would send his only son, Jesus Christ, to this world and that he would live a perfect life demonstrating the reality of who he was and that he would ultimately go to the cross and pay the penalty for your sin and mine in full so that we could be forgiven. And you may ask, how could one man do that? And the answer is, no one man could. But this man was the Son of God. He was God in the flesh. He was not only infinite in his life, he was infinite in his death. And his death could equate to every one of us because of who he was. And that means that the Bible is true, that Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for your sin and for mine so that we could be forgiven. And so the best news about the resurrection is this, because Jesus Christ has come back from the grave demonstrating the reality of his words and the honesty of his statements, you and I can be forgiven of our sins. We can come to him and ask him to forgive us and know that he will do it. He's paid the penalty for our sin so that we can now come to God fully justified, not because of us, but because of him. When you get to heaven someday, perhaps it's going to go like this. Almighty God may ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? And what would you say? And if you don't have the right answer, that would be a bad time to be without the right answer. The right answer is this. You can only go to heaven through Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ himself said that. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. You get to heaven by putting your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. And we know that is true because Jesus said he would come back from the grave, and he did it, validating his veracity and his truthfulness. So your past is cared for. Most people are surprised that the resurrection has anything to do at all with your present. But the Bible tells us that because Jesus Christ died on the cross and was risen from the grave, that he now gives to you and to me the same power that was used to bring him back from the dead so that we can live our lives every day in resurrection power. Over and over again, we read that Jesus Christ has given us the power to live a special life. Here's just one passage that I find very encouraging. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20 says, What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? This passage says that we have the same power available to us to live the Christian life that God used to bring Jesus Christ out of the grave. And then thirdly, not only does it help us with our past and with our present, but it's the guarantee of our future. I know I'm going to heaven because I have put my trust in him. Ask him to forgive my sin and to save me and to come and live within my life. And the Bible tells me that when you do that, you get the gift of eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I have received the gift of eternal life. And I don't want to die, but I'm not afraid to die. I'm going to be with God. Do you know that? The Bible tells us if you receive Jesus Christ into your life, just as he came out of the grave victorious over death, one day you will do the same thing. He is the first fruits of those who slept, says the scripture. And that means that because he overcame death and we put our trust in him, he gives us the power to do that. And if Jesus Christ does not come back during our lifetime in the rapture, we're all going to die and go in the grave. But one day the Bible says the trumpet will sound and the voice of the archangel will be heard and the dead in Christ shall be raised. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, I am forgiven for all the things in the past that I have done. And I'm no longer guilty before God. I have a new strength and power to live every day because the Lord God comes to live within me and help me be the person that down deep in my heart I really want to be. And I have an incredible hope that one day I'm going to be with God forever. And it's not a hope-so hope, it's a no-so hope. So the question is, do you understand the resurrection like that? Do you realize that the resurrection is just something we celebrate once a year? and all get dressed up and go to church and have a big meal and be with our families. The resurrection is the most important doctrine of the Bible because if Jesus didn't do what he said he would do, which was to come back after three days, we can't believe anything that he said. No, my friends, we have a unique Savior, unique in every way, unique in the fact that he came from God in his origin, that he was born of a virgin without a father humanly that he lived a life without sin, that he died a death that he was in control of. The Bible says he dismissed his spirit and that he came out of the grave the third day victorious over death just as he promised he would. 
And the same uniqueness that is in Jesus Christ is available to all of us to help us every day live a life that's very difficult for many of us now in the culture in which we find ourselves. With Almighty God in your heart through Jesus Christ, you can do it. You know, one of my favorite things about the way we do Easter at Shadow Mountain Church is when it starts, I stand in the pulpit and the first thing I say is, He is risen. And the whole crowd simultaneously responds, He is risen indeed. If I could say anything to you today as we face this Easter weekend, that would be it. He is risen. Yes, my friend, He is risen indeed. And He is alive today at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and for me. And He promises that we can come to Him with our weakness and our trials, and He will help us. Uh, He has been through everything we've been through at the very extreme limits of it, and He knows everything we're experiencing. So the risen Savior is the Savior we pray to. He's the one who's at the right hand of the Father. He's making intercession for you and for me. Happy Easter, everybody. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's special Easter message, The Seven Signs of Easter, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. David's new resource that relates the numbers in Scripture to God's prophetic plan. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, Signs, right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. Do you wish you had a better grasp of Bible prophecy? Then you'll love Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. Grow in your understanding of end times events and discover what the numbers and prophecy mean. This fascinating book is yours with the gift of any amount this month and give $70 or more to receive this book plus two other answer books that will help address your most pressing questions about end times and Bible prophecy. Find out more at davidjeremiah.ca. Richard Stearns, the president of World Vision, transitioned from the luxurious lifestyle of a corporate CEO to ministering to the poor and needy around the world. In his book, The Hole in Our Gospel, 
he gives lavish praise to his wife, Renee, for her partnership in their marriage and ministry. About Renee, he writes, She is the gift God gave me, that I might become the man he desired me to be. I imagine Richard Stearns, along with me, would agree with this humorous observation someone made about success. Women are rarely as successful as men because they have no wives to advise them. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's praise for godly wives on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.